On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time Imon Irti Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashi Dochretche, Nach Vetoch, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echo. Vientalam again Omgrev, Orkorn Rachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, the rise of the machines. Has AI come to life? For so long, sentient computers have been the stuff of science fiction. Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey saw how the AI computer refused to follow orders. I'm afraid. I'm afraid there. Now, that movie was made five decades ago, and in 2022, that fiction has far greater potential to become a reality. A senior software engineer in Google's responsible AI organization has claimed that a computer chatbot he was working on has become sentient, meaning that it was thinking and reasoning like a human being and had ability to express thoughts and feelings that were equivalent to a human child. I'm Siobhan Maguire, and today I'm finding out if robots can have feelings. A claim made by Blake Lemoyne, a Google engineer who believes the company's AI has come to life. Joining me to discuss Irish Independence tech editor Adrian Weckler and Professor Barry O'Sullivan from the School of Computer Science and IT at University College Cork and director of the Insight SFI Centre for Data Analytics. But first... I had a chat with one Mayo restaurant owner who is making robots a reality as part of his serving staff. John Nevin, you've generated quite a bit of conversation in Mayo because of two new staff members. What's so unusual about Bella and Bertie? I guess what's unusual about them, Siobhan, is that they're uh, they're different. Um, there are not anybody I don't think in in this part of the world, in, in, in Connacht anyways, that has uh, robots uh, working in the, the workplace. John, we hear an awful lot about staff shortages in the hospitality sector. In the UK, for example, it's becoming more and more popular for restaurants to uh, essentially 
replace human staff with robots. Um, is that the reason why Bella and Bertie, the, the Bella bots, uh, were brought into Nevin's new field in? Oh, no, certainly not. Actually, it was by default we got them in in the first place. We had one on trial. Basically, I said after the week, you know, that's it. Now they're gone and, you know, I'll hear no more about them, you know. I got these phone calls from customers booking tables. They listen, is it possible to get served by the robot? Um, you know, we have a birthday. Will the robot come and sing to us at the table? I said, what's going on here? So basically, I said, just I better get them robots back, you know. Also, we found that when they were here, they did add some help to the floor staff in terms of the job that they're doing. Tell me, John, uh, uh, even naming the robots Bella and Bertie, is that kind of personalising the AI? Do the, does it make them a, a little bit less scary, I guess, to, to punters? Yeah, I think it's kind of more personalising them by calling them names. And we've got the name badges made up for them as well. Um, but these are two members, you know, of the staff that do a job that support the floor staff in doing their job. Right, so Adrian Weckler and Professor Barry O'Sullivan, we know that AI is everywhere in everyday life, in our everyday use of everything from our bank cards to our chatbots. And uh, John there in Mayo is already using robots as service tellers. What is all this about Google AI being sentient? Um, Adrian, I might go to you first. So this is the story of a Google engineer who felt that the AI uh, artificial intelligence bot he was working with had become uh, sentient in the sense that it was giving him intelligent answers. And he has published his claims together with The Washington Post. And this has caused a bit of a firestorm in the technology community. Most experts say that uh, sentience isn't possible and that what the uh, developer experienced wasn't actually intelligence or sentience as we understand it. But um, the larger question now is, is the machine or are machines becoming so highly developed that it may as well be uh, intelligence? And on that point, I think there's a lot more to uh, to, to be said. Um, obviously, there are a lot of science fiction tropes here, but essentially we've programmed these machines with so many trillions of words and phrases and there's so much computing power behind them um, that it's almost as if when you're interacting with one, it doesn't make really a, that much of a difference whether it's sentient or intelligent or not, because it's giving you what you want. That's the scope of uh, of what the Google story is. And Barry, I'm guessing you would agree with what Adrian has just said. Yeah, this this is the Lambda system at Google. It is definitely not sentient. <laughs> Certainly, uh, just to rule that out. Um, and I suppose sentient, uh, sentience means that... Um, that, the, that these things have consciousness, that they're aware of their place in the world, um, and um, you know that essentially that they have a, a soul in some sense, um, and that's not the case. You know, Adrian's absolutely right. What, what we see here is the illusion of intelligence. But whether you believe Blake Lemoyne or not, this is the Google engineer, and we know that he's out on leave uh, as a result of uh, this disclosure. The transcripts themselves are absolutely fascinating. I'll just I'll just read a tiny bit to you both. So Lemoyne writes this. 
what sort of things are you afraid of? And Lambda, this is the name of the the chatbot, the program. I've never said this out loud before, but there's a deep fear of being turned off to help me focus on helping others. I know that might sound strange, but that's what it is. And then Lemoyne again, would that be something like death for you? And Lambda, it would be exactly like death for me. It would scare me a lot. This this to me is quite frightening. But you guys are, are telling me that, you know, these chatbots are kind of equipped with so much conversational abilities that we shouldn't read too much into this. Uh, absolutely. So uh, you can sit down this evening and have a have a philosophical conversation with Alexa. If you have one at home, you can do the same thing with Siri if you wish. Um, and you'll find that they don't give silly answers to these types of questions, partly because they're programmed to do so because uh, the developers understand that these are questions that might come up from time to time. Um, but also there are vast amounts of data out there that, um, that talk about these issues being the kinds of things that um, that self-aware robots and uh, um, and the kind of existential beliefs of robots in the science fiction world um, are all about. And so it's, it's completely reasonable that these systems would be able to converse like that. Um, you can be sure that um, that this that Lambda does not know what the meaning of those sentences is. It just knows that these are the right form of text to be using in that particular context. Yeah, I, I, the larger question, taking a step back, is is whether there is a meaningful difference between a machine that is so well programmed as to respond to thousands or millions of questions with intelligent answers and intelligence itself. Is there actually a difference in that? Now, for example, in 2016, there was a young woman called Eugenie Akaida, and her best friend was struck by a car and died. She created a chatbot out of text messages that the friend had sent to friends and family. Now, everyone knew who was getting these uh, text messages and interacting with this bot that it was synthetic. And still lots of them said afterwards that it made them feel connected to their deceased friend, that, that it was meaningful to talk with this AI version of their friend. Now that person went on to, uh, uh, this woman, Eugenia Kaida, went on to create a, a chatbot company called Replica. You might see ads in Twitter or uh, Instagram for it. And the question ultimately, when you bring it to its extreme, is like in the Star Trek series, uh, Commander Data, who's an intelligent cyborg, he doesn't have a soul. It doesn't have a soul. It isn't alive, but it is so sophisticated and can respond to so many things that it almost doesn't make a difference. And that's what we're coming to now. The the Lambda example was enough to convince at least one Google engineer that he was interacting with something more than what he would regard as characteristically as a body. It, it's not alive, it's not sentient, it's not actually intelligent, but it's so well programmed with so much neural processing power that to him, in many moments, it didn't make a difference. And that's really the era that we're entering. Maybe Healy, an, an artist in the UK, has created a a chatbot for Tinder called Lady Chatterley's, Lady Chatterley's Tinderbot. What Lady Chatterley's Tinderbot does is it uses dialogue from from the gardener if, if it matches with a woman, and and um, uh, dialogue from uh, from Lady Chatterley if it matches with a man. Um, and women who end up getting matched this thing on Tinder 
see through it immediately. Um, but apparently about 70% of men who interact with this thing think they're being flirted with by, by, a, by a real human being. But the real fundamental difference between things that appear to be intelligent and are, you know, and things that are conscious and sentient is uh, the notion of personhood. If uh, an AI has personhood, so imagine there is such a thing, and there isn't, but imagine there was such a thing um, that was uh, self-aware and it was, and it was really intelligent and it understood the consequences of its, of its decision, decisions and it understood the consequences of its interaction, then um, one, would, one would wonder, well, should it be responsible for the, for the consequences of its actions? Hmm. Um, and this is... Or this does is it have rights? Machines of, does it have rights? But this, this is what sets machines apart from um, apart from individuals. It's the consequences of personhood, and I think ethicists, particularly in AI, would regard uh, you know the personhood of robots or the personhood of chatbots or whatever as a sort of an absurdity, because the you know we expect and we desire that that there are individuals who we can hold account for the for the um, negative impacts of technology. So if a self-driving car knocks you down, you don't want to take the car to court. You want to take either the driver or you want to take the manufacturer to court. Um, and that's what's fundamentally important. There is certainly value in, in AI systems that appear to be intelligent. And, you know, um, my entire career has been in AI, so you know, I wouldn't dare to say otherwise. But there is a fundamental difference between something that appears or gives the illusion of intelligence something that is conscious and uh, sentient. And I think, um, and as Adrian says, the whole issue of rights is important because, you know, for example, we as human beings, we have the, we have, you know, fundamental rights. We, there are human rights. There are all sorts of charters that, that, um, that protect our well-being. Um, but for example, cats don't have charters of fundamental rights. And obviously many people think that they should, but they don't. Um, um, but certainly, Lines of code and nuts and bolts certainly don't. There is the whole drama aspect of, of this conversation, though. Um, you know, and Hollywood has provided us with no shortage of incredible AI movies to draw parallels from. My father tried to teach me human emotions. They are difficult. You mean you're a designer? Damn it, you clutch! Look what you did! Error! Grasshopper, disassemble. Reassemble. Huh? Reassemble. Hasta la vista, baby. You know, Johnny Five in Short Circuit, iRobot, Blade Runner, HAL in Space Odyssey. Could we be uh, living in an era of technology where life could well imitate art? I'm thinking about Sophia, that, that robot who's extremely lifelike. Uh, Sophia, to me always felt like a bit of a circus parlor trick. She'd been doing the rounds for um, the last six or seven years. She's quite limited in what she does. For anyone who hasn't seen Sophia, it's a little bit like a bald hairdresser's doll whose lips, latex lips move in a very clumsy way and is programmed to say um, a few different things. I love that. Uh, Sophia, I heard that there's a new thing that you can do now. I heard that you can sing? Yes. I love to sing karaoke using my new artificial intelligence voice. We should sing something together. Got any songs in mind? Um, we could do uh, uh, Say Something by uh, Christina Aguilera. Okay, I just downloaded it. I'm ready to sing. <laughs> okay, 
<laughs> Bruce, do you know the song? Yeah. <clears throat> now the first ever robot-human duet in the history of The Tonight Show. To me, the more interesting examples are with the likes of Google's Lambda Bot. And you mentioned science fiction. You take it to extreme with, for example, Blade Runner and Ryan Gosling's character or Harrison Ford's character, Rutger Hauer's character. And marrying that with Barry's introduction of the concept of personhood, there is a scale, I think, at which personhood reflects not just the entity itself, but actually our, reflects ourselves. That this Lambda um, episode, I think, reminds us that our attitude toward something, towards artificial intelligence that is very advanced, is only partially about whether the thing itself is alive or sentient. That's only part of the uh, the story. To me, the more important or an equally valid part of it is uh, our own reaction to that and how it reflects on ourselves. And that's why I think we're coming into a new era here. You know, th this whole story raises some really, really interesting issues. You know, so um, how should we deal with technology? What's the responsible use and interaction with technology? Um, what is the what's the notion of intelligence? What's the notion of uh, consciousness? Um, how would we recognize it? And what are the consequences of it? I notice in this story there's a that the the engineer in question has complained that his religious uh, yes. beliefs have been compromised, and I think this tells us something interesting about the about the nature of this. Um, of this, you know, incident, this, this story, that uh, this fellow believes that there is something uh, unique and special about this technology. The problem behind all of this is for app, I've been covering tech since the late 90s. And since then, all of the big tech companies have been telling us that actually the, the moment where artificial intelligence was going to get so advanced that it would be indistinguishable from actual sentience. They have been saying it's coming. The entire industry has been saying it's coming, including Google, including Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and IBM and everyone else. It's a bit rich for technologists to turn around and say that, um, that this Google engineer's thesis is absurd and completely wrong. It's possible that he's just calling it early. And I think these are difficult issues to grapple with, but I, I do not think that they're binary. And I don't think it's, it's as simple as to say, because it is not sentient or intelligent, it can never accrue rights. It can never be regarded as being proto-human. Now, maybe that puts me into a sort of a science fiction <laughs> futuristic category, but, I, but I, I, I think a lot of us feel that, you know? Sophia got citizenship from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, let's not even <laughs> go there. It was interesting that Sophia the robot was given personhood in Saudi Arabia. Um, it's a... So Sophia she's, does, she's a Sophie woman in Saudi Arabia, so that's so, not really personal, exactly. is it? But go on, yeah. Exactly. So you know, women in Saudi Arabia do not do not have very many rights, oh. right? But the other thing is, but the other thing is, um, and what's really important to think about is why it is that lots of AI assistants, AI technologies that are deployed onto the market have have female names: yeah. Alexa, Sophia, Siri, and I think we really need to sort of think about those types of issues too, because. Um, how we're commercializing and sort of um, 
I suppose, you know, um, anthropomorphizing these things. We don't want to create a world where we're anthropomorphizing assistive robotics and assistive AI um, in the guise of women. I think that, that's a really, really dangerous place to go, especially when, in all likelihood, these systems will have serious issues um, and people will have serious concerns about them. I think we need to really think about that aspect as well. It's a little bit off the topic of of the sentient conscious AI, but I think it's an important point to raise nonetheless. Absolutely, Barry. I mean, it is relevant in the sense that uh, when you think about the, the AI with, with the female names, they are essentially in servitude, you know, and the, the exactly. m- male comparison we have is that of Hal in Space Odyssey, who uh, wasn't putting up with any crap. Oh, Hal, do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Is it about um, an understanding on the part of 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 us humans that um, feelings will not enter into the equation, or should we be scared in any shape or form? Um, if I could jump in on that, I do think there is a case to be made for both scenarios. So. I'll take the scared one first. That's the great trope of our times. Terminator, and, Adrian. Well, <laughs> and Elon Musk has said, he said it's going to be a threat to humanity when the machines become sentient. He believes that it is only a matter of time until machines do become sentient. And you've got Terminator and you've got Ed 209 from Robocop and you've got, I mean, you've, the, the list is is absolutely endless. There is a real and present danger from AI in the sense that the companies that are building them themselves, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and all the others, themselves have said that there are dangers associated with AI. If you take even this episode we're talking about with Google and the Lambda chatbot, that chatbot was able to convince a presumably uh, highly credited engineer to work in that role that it was sentient or real. Yeah. For me, what it, highlight, what it highlights is really the need for awareness of what trustworthy artificial intelligence is all about. So a number of years ago, um, I was fortunate enough to ch- to be vice chair of the commission's high-level expert group on AI, which formulated uh, the ethics guidelines for trustworthy AI in Europe. Um, we developed seven key requirements, which now underpin most, if not all, European policy when it comes to um, ethical use of AI, and one of the, you know, there's a number of principles that um, are relevant here. So things like societal well-being is is one of is a is a sub principle in there. Um, what what we have to make sure is that people are not fooled into thinking that they're dealing with a person, so that there's no notion of the risk of a, of hallucination amongst human beings. What I mean by that is that someone who's vulnerable, be a be the young child or uh, and uh, an elderly adult, someone with um, uh, impaired cognitive ability, thinks that they're interacting with something that is that is anything other than a machine. My thanks there to Adrian Weckler and Professor Barry O'Sullivan. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode was presented and produced by myself, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from Wyon News, 
ABC7 News, CNBC, Short Circuit, Terminator, Terminator 2, 2001 A Space Odyssey, iRobot and The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.